voices with me. And let's ask God that whatever his purpose for this moment, that nothing could hinder it from being so. Hallelujah. God, I love you. Anoint the lips of your feeble servant. Anoint the ears of your beautiful people. Melt our hearts together in your presence, God. Father, in your name, I love you. I love you. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. sure most of you recognize the scripture that I've lifted from a story is already recognized by most everybody in the building. The story of Jacob and his boys. Jacob father of several young men. Jacob having, of course, received notoriety in the Word of God for being that one that loved the birthright more than his brother. Having a track record of building altars and having dreams seeing angels ascending and descending, working and laboring for that that he loved and wanted. And somewhat of a shadow on his character because some of the things that he achieved, he went about it through deceit himself deceiving his aged father, deceiving or perhaps tricking his brother. And all of this is just simply the story of Jacob. And we accept the negatives, we accept the characteristics, the traits of Jacob because we see how the story progresses and his love for the birthright and his love for his God and what should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, we still refer to it today as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a tremendous, what a tremendous name or report to have built up even over the negatives. But the negatives in his life, the factors that he himself was guilty of, and I, I'm, I'm getting into a, another subject matter here, and I, I don't want to totally blame the things that Jacob suffered on simply reaping the seed that was sown because I, I understand that God's eternal purpose played a great part in it. But yet, the situation that we find him in at this point, if anybody in the whole world should have been prepared to recognize deceit, It should have been Jacob. Because he was a master at administering deceit. The boys are about the business of the farm. I'll just refer to it as a farm, ranch, whatever.
tending the sheep, taking care of the chores. The boys had to love Daddy for them to be taking care of Dad's business. They weren't, they weren't all bad. It's just that a vulnerable situation developed. A situation where a son born in later years receiving somewhat of maybe a little undue affection from the age of dad, creating a situation of jealousy. I don't think that probably Jacob was so naive or so old that he did not recognize the fact that there was a problem. It's just that I think his trust in his lineage probably blinded him to the severity of the problem. It's, it's very characteristic of us to recognize sometime the problem but not be totally apprised or maybe allow ourselves to see sometimes the deep severity of the problem. And uh, we have a way of closing our eyes sometimes and thinking that just to close our eyes the problem will go away. But sometimes problems don't go away just because you refuse to look at it. Now jealousy, jealousy and conniving and all of this was no stranger to Jacob. But for that thing to develop into murder... probably a little bit beyond Jacob's comprehension. I'm thinking probably that Joseph, the boy who was the object of contention, he probably had shared enough with his dad to know that the boy's out in the field, dad, the boy's on the back side of the farm, are not treating me back there like they portray they feel about me when you're around. And then the dreams didn't help. And the boy being the apple of his father's eye didn't help. Probably was the root of the matter. And then for the spirit of jealousy to finally arrive at the spirit of murder, that was beyond Jacob's comprehension, but yet it was an actuality. They call him the dreamer. They call him the kid that had a fantasy world. Finally, that jealousy and that spirit that turned spirit of murder, they literally decided to leave their brother in a pit. Impossible for him to survive. But yet somebody, probably a blend of mercy and greed, saw that they could sell him to a band of Midianites. And instead of just having murder to their record, they could at least get just a little bit of worldly goods out of it. And he 
you'd still, the purpose would be accomplished and he would be out of their hair. The coat that had been provided for this apple of his father's eye, we know it as a coat of many colors. The Scripture says that those boys brought that coat and appeared before their father and said, Now, Dad, we are not sure. We are just, we're, we're just, we're just wanting to bring this particular situation to you and let you look at it and you would know. This, there's a possibility that this coat belongs to your boy, Joseph. And we found this coat. And now we want you to make the determination, is it Joseph's coat or is it not? This is all they say. This is as much as they reveal. They've just brought a coat and they drop it in Dad's possession and say, you tell us. What they did not explain was the situation by which they had built a case. They had built a story through an appearance. And when Jacob saw the coat, and the coat was torn, it was in shreds, and dipped in blood. The obvious conclusion was, and Jacob came to it quickly, this is my son's coat. And without doubt, he has fallen prey to some beast, and my son is dead. You have found his coat, so I will go to my grave grieving over the death of my boy. Circumstantial evidence, accepting the apparent as being the inevitable. I feel like the Lord has sent me to this place today to talk to some preacher to talk to some preacher's wife, to talk to some mother, to talk to some daddy, or to talk to some Christian. We must be prepared to deal with the spirit of deceit. Satan is a master. In fact, that is one of his, if you could say, greatest attributes. Maybe I should say one of the most damaging attributes to the body of Christ and to individuals is his ability to deceive. If I could just if I could just scream out to Jacob at that, at that critical moment, Jacob, for God's sake, think twice 
don't have to. You don't have to accept what appears as being the ultimate verdict. Look at the possibilities. You know the possibilities of boys playing tricks on one another. And if anybody should be aware of this situation, it should be you, Jacob. So I beg of you, please, please, before you throw in the towel, before you give up, before you pull your feet up in your bed and die grieving over that boy, please, look at it the second time. The truth of the matter, Jacob, is that coat is not stained with your boy's blood. That coat is stained with goat's blood. And it's nothing but a master trick of the enemy to deceive you into not being up to the rest of what God has in your life. And I'm preaching to somebody in this house today. I feel a tug and a burden and a weight on my heart for somebody in this house today. Every one of us will experience from time to time that awesome moment when Satan drops a bloody coat at your feet and says, you determine what the situation is now. And if you read the situation by what the apparent thing or the apparent that's revealed to you, if you read it by the evidence that the devil will let you see or with what life will dole out to you, you come to the obvious conclusion, there's nothing for me to do but throw in the towel. It's over. I may as well hang it up. I may as well quit. But I've got news for you today. Your dream lives on. Your dream lives on. Your dream lives on. The dream don't die as long as the giver of the dream is still alive. The purpose is not over until the one who designed it all is dethroned. How many times Satan dropped a bloody coat at our feet and said, Draw your own conclusions now. Here's the evidence. And that's all he does it for, is to trick you into taking the verdict that the evidence leads you to believe. I'm taking my time here today, and I'm not preaching like I'd preach at a camp meeting because I feel I'm talking to somebody, and I'm not, we're not, the preachers in this conference are not we're not vying for one of who's top or who's whatever. We're just trying to flow in the Holy Ghost. And I'm teaching like I would teach at my, my church on Bible study night. And I'm not saying that I teach like this all the time or on subjects. I feel this is a special subject. But God sent me here to tell you. But I don't feel that my delivery of it is, is, the, is the criteria for what I'm doing here tonight or today. God has got something in mind for somebody in this house. The devil is trying to abort the purpose of God in your life. He's trying to, to, to cause to totally cease the development of the will of God 
and the ultimate benefit that you are to the kingdom of God. He's trying to get you out of the picture by dropping a bloody coat at your feet. But I beg you today in the name of Jesus Christ, take one more look at that coat, sir. Not the blood of your dream. It's goat's blood. And here you are grieving yourself to an untimely grave over something that don't even exist. I could ask for a show of hands right now because I'm talking to somebody in this house just as sure as I'm standing in shoe leather today. The devil has used a lot of tricks on the church of the living God up until this point. But the thing that he has drawn out of the hat now to use against this end-time church is the spirit of deceit. I really doubt that there's a preacher in this building that if you'd look real close, there's not a bloody coat laying at your feet. Satan has, Satan has done everything in his power to deceive in this end time. If he can't deceive you in, in not believing the truth of the Word of God, he'll deceive you in the thinking that that, that, that you are not worthy or that you are, are, are something that can't, it can't happen to you. It, you he'll, he'll deceive you over your brother, make you think the church can't have it. I mean, it, it just whatever can come, whatever... Let, let, me, let me say it this way. We all understand that the, the devil learned a lot of his tricks and patterns by watching God and what he sees God does do he likes to try to mimic that and of course it's always a lie it turns out to be a lie and he will he will weave it to deceit but he'll make it appear the same thing as God was doing only he'll make a lie out of it to deceive Jesus Christ when he was amassing together the disciples and people were coming to him he was drawing calling and all and then finally uh, you know the story of andrew andrew was not the sought after disciple he was not the invited disciple he just saw what was going on and andrew went and started following the lord in, in other words the lord just had andrew on his hands really read it the lord never invited now once uh, uh, he got everybody together then he went by where Andrew and Peter were fishing and said, okay, it's time, boys. But he already had Andrew in the bag before that because Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. And when Jesus Christ come along, John the Baptist stood up and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew didn't wait for no other explanation. He just said, goodbye, John. I'm after him. When he started following Jesus Jesus turned around and looked at Andrew and said, What seek ye? He gave the stupidest answer to that question. When he said, What seek ye? Andrew looked back at him and said, Where dwellest thou? Isn't that a, isn't that a way to answer that question? And, and, and really, I think the Lord maybe helped me to understand what Andrew was talking about because evidently he had already heard a little bit about this fellow. And he may have heard about him disappearing the day when they wanted to push him over the precipice at the temple. And he just disappeared out of the midst of them. And he had just heard his master say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And he started in after him. And then he turns and said, What seekest thou? In other words, Andrew was telling him, If you want to pull one of those disappearing acts on me, I just want to know where you live because I'm convinced enough that you are who I'm looking for that when you get back home, I'll be waiting for you. Hallelujah. 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 
You see, some of those men, some of those disciples, some of those followers were people that just joined themselves to the Master. Andrew just started without an invitation. You don't find where he wrote a book. You don't find where he had the keys to the kingdom. You don't find where he pastored a church. You don't even find where he preached a sermon. But yet, his name's going to be on one of those 12 foundations. Because when the Lord got them all together, he said, there ain't no use in having 13, and I got Andrew, so I may as well let him be number 12. Hallelujah. But Jesus was not, he was not just open to any and everything. Some folks came, wanted to know, what do I have to do? Look at the uniqueness by which Jesus handled every one of these situations. There was one guy who was a rich young ruler, and he said, what must I do to be your disciple? What have I got to do to follow you? Jesus told him something that he told nobody else. He told nobody else what his problem or what he was going to what he told that guy that he was going to have to do to be his disciple. The Lord had a way of hitting at the root of the problem. Or he, he hit at the very crux of the matter. You know, we, we got this, we got this, uh, this idea that uh, when people come, and of course I know we have to use wisdom and all of this, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those that, uh, that wants to be kooky and, and cut everybody else off and all this kind of stuff. But we don't operate the way Jesus did in getting disciples. We want them to come, for, to come to church for six weeks to find out what it's all about before we ever tell them anything that they're going to have to do, you know, to line up. And, and, and that's what, but you know, the Lord, the Lord just simply said, if there's any way that I can stop him, let me go ahead and do it right here off of the bat. This one character come. Now, I'm not saying let's all go do that. I'm just saying that we talk about wanting to be Christ-like sometimes and we find every way in the world to do it another way. I'm just being honest with you. One fella that could have meant a whole lot to him said, uh, uh, well, let, 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 me, let me follow you. He said, okay, let me, let me tell you this. Birds have the nest, foxes have holes. But I don't have anywhere. You see, he was in the business of building the men upon whose shoulders the whole situation was going to rest through a deep, dark valley. The valley of the shadow of death. The valley of, of, of Calvary. And somebody was going to have to have the faith and maintain the faith until they got to the upper room when everybody got the power there. So he just had to weed them out. He told this rich young ruler that could have gotten a whole lot. I mean, he, he could have contributed a whole lot to the purse. If it had been some of us, we'd have said, go sell what you got and come back and put it in the kitty and let's go. But Jesus told him, go sell what you've got, give it to the poor, and come back and follow me. It looked like he delighted in hitting a man the most severe blow that he could hit. While we want to ease up on him. We want to break him in by degrees. We want to be like the little boy that was cutting his dog's tail off. He, he wanted the short-tailed dog. And, and, and the daddy kept hearing the dog holler and howl, ever, ever whip-stitch. And he said, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting my dog's tail off. He said, well, why is he just keeping on howling? He said, I'm cutting it off an inch at a time so it won't hurt so bad. We want, we want to ease up on people. But I got news for you. Jesus' way was, bless God, if you can be stopped, let's go ahead and take care of it right now because I've got to have somebody I can depend on. 
If I give you the biggest hurdle that you can come to and you can make it over that, I won't have anything else to worry about down the line. You'll hang in there. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what we've got to have in this hour is some people that have the guts to hang in there. Does anybody feel like talking in tongues? My God, I feel a river wanting to flow in this place again here today. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! My God, let's raise our hands right now. We got some young folks coming in to be with us. Let's all stand right now while they come and take their place. And let's just give the Holy Ghost just a moment here to break in upon us. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You may be seated. If Satan can drop a bloody coat at the feet of a pastor and make you think that there's not enough people in your church living for God and really loving this truth enough to have revival and get the favor of God you're in a burnt over field and you're a has-been why would he want to use any other trick if he can frighten you into surrender as we've heard in this in this pulpit, in this meeting. There's no battle then. If he can scare you into not being a formidable foe of his, why would he want to have a fight if he can take you without a fight? Talking to a has dropped a bloody coat at your feet to tell you you may as well give up. You may as well throw in the towel because your son, your daughter, your family, whatever, there has been. There's no way. There's no way they'll ever be what. I want to preach to you something here today. Did you realize that Samson's Nazarite vow was not a consecration of his own? That boy entered into his lifestyle not by his own choosing. His mother, when she was expecting Samson, entered into this relationship with God, and God told her, I want you to protect this boy, and I don't want scissors in his hair. I don't want drink in his, in his blood. I want him to be 
set apart. Now you might want to check me out. Go to your book. Read it. Samson fell heir to this lifestyle. Samson fell heir to this consecration. He was the victim of his mother's consecration. And I suppose that that might even uh, uh, lend itself to uh, his loose handling. He was committed to it. And you'll have to give him the benefit of the doubt. He lived by that rule for a long time and got the favor of God in being chosen to be the judge over his people. But somewhere down the line, familiarity with it all and having power without discipline Truth without consecration. You hear me tonight or today when I tell you truth without consecration and power without self-discipline is an accident hunting somewhere to happen. He started loosely handling what he had, the power that was his. Started taking things for granted. Started playing games. Flirting with the opposition. Secure in his feelings. I'm God's man and I'm, I'm a Nazarite and I'm the judge and I can just sort of do what I want to do. Even to the point where he broke down his resistance to keeping the secret of his power. You know the story with Delilah. And he played with he played with the idea. He played games with Delilah in her quest for the knowledge of the secret and finally I mean when the devil's got you on the hook and getting you down he don't he don't have any mercy when he gets you going his way he don't stop until you are history my God somebody say that with me when the devil gets you going his way he don't stop until your history. I mean, I mean he, he could have come out unscathed with the first two or three little games he was playing. But when he got to tampering with the truth of the matter, as long as he was just toying with the peripheral, that was one thing. But when he got to tampering with the mainspring, that was a horse of a different color. When he woke up to shake himself that time, after revealing the secret of the vow that his mother had made and the vow that he had subscribed to all these years. But when he gave that secret and she took the locks from his head, he got up that time and was going to do just like he had done all other times, only to find himself a hopeless victim. But after the embarrassment of his fall, after the embarrassment and, and, and the reproach of the judge becoming the laughingstock of the people that he was supposed to oppose, after, after all of the, of the whatever years or times that he spent like an animal, traipsing around in a circle at the grinding mill without eyes I don't think the Bible gives us a record as to how long Samson's mother 
was living to witness the development in her boy's life. But I'm telling you, whether she was still living and hanging on to that vow that she had made to transmit to that boy, or whether it was just her desire and her righteousness before God that God honored it. There's one thing that the devil forgot. There's one thing that the enemy forgot. And that was when he told them his secret. They believed it long enough to destroy his effectiveness. But they didn't believe it long enough to protect it from reoccurring. It's hard sometimes for the rest of the world to believe that the secret is really the secret. I'm preaching to somebody. I'm preaching to a mother and a daddy here today. The devil's got a bloody coat at your feet and says, your boy, your girl, they're a has-been. They never will be back. But I take note here today and I ask you to remember one set of phrases in the Scripture that gives the secret of it all. And that was, how be it, the hair began to grow again. That's just one little phrase before the final chapter of the story. One little cliche before the story winds up. How be it, the hair began to grow again. If those people would have believed the secret was the secret, they'd have had a battery of barbers in there with razors keeping that hair shaved off of that head. But what they didn't know was the secret was really the secret. And when that hair began to grow again, that desire, that mother's prayer. I'm telling you here today, there's some things the devil can't cope with. There's some things that hell can't cope with. to grow again. And that old boy with no eyes, stalking like a beast of burden around in a trench, grinding at the gristmill. I don't know whether it was mom's prayers. I don't know whether she was still living, interceding, or whether it was just the righteous seed of prayers that had already gone up. Or whether it was that boy, God just dealt with him. Samson, wouldn't you like to really do something worthwhile at the close of your life? Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you like for the last chapter to say you did something more spectacular than you ever did in your lifetime? Wouldn't you rather be a somebody in history than to just slip out a nobody? Wouldn't you? I don't know what I don't know what his prayer was, but I got I got a sneaking idea because I've I've been in those times before where I felt like I messed up so bad that it's it's over. Uh, just you know, all of us, all of us battle that 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 kind of a feeling every once in a while, because the devil's got a bloody coat at our feet. We want to accept the apparent as being the inevitable. But God, you remember the vow that my dear old mother made for me.
And I stayed true to it until I got tricked up by Delilah. And I've suffered a lot of reproach and a lot of embarrassment. And I've brought shame to your cause and to your people. But God, if there's any way, if there's any way in heaven that you could vindicate the cause of God, and if you could include me in some sort of a vindication, I would be so happy if you would use me one more time. If you would use me one more time. <laughs> I'm talking to Samson's mother here today. You might better reach down and get a hold of that bloody coat. You've accepted as being the blood of your dream. But he may be somewhere grinding at a gristmill. But your prayer will put a prayer in him. I'm telling you, the hair is beginning to grow again. You better watch it, devil. You better watch it, devil. You've got your big feast and you've got your big party in your big temple. And all of the fun makers are looking over the balcony to the basement floor and you're making sport out of God's used to be. But you might better watch it, sir. If you knew the secret was really the secret, you'd have a barber down there working on him right now. The hair began to grow again. My God, if I could talk to that mother, if I could talk to that pastor, if I could talk, if I, whoever you are, please reach down and get that coat. Honey, that blood that's in that coat is just a, it, it, it's just a recent development. That coat's been around a long time. That coat represents more than just the tattered rags of some defeat that you're experiencing. And the blood in that garment. Don't you, can't you understand that Satan don't have any power over your dream? Don't you know when the God of the dream is still living that the dream is going to live on? Don't you understand that? I'm talking to somebody today. We're fixing to pick up a coat. And we're going to look at it. And we're going to assess what's in that coat for what it really is. That's not the blood of your dream. That's the blood of a goat somewhere that was brought out and killed to destroy your faith. I had an old grandmother. If you don't mind, I'm, I'm about through. Maybe. I had a grandmother who had twins. One was a boy and one was a girl. The girl was my mama. The boy, my mother's brother, went into the service when he was 17. He was on Corregidor when it fell. He was injured and missed the death march because he was in first aid. He was put in a prison camp. And in prison camp... He was there 39 months. 
the only word the family got in that, in that length of time was one telegram from the War Department. Your son is missing in action. No further word. Everybody, everybody accepted the inevitable. Everybody accepted. That old mother and that sister that knew how to pray. Yeah. All of the neighbors, Ms. Wilkes, you may as well go ahead and accept it, Ms. Wilkes. It's going to be so difficult for you to come to have to accept it somewhere down the line. Please go ahead now. It'll be easier now. My dad, the son-in-law preacher of the family, he told me, oh, mom, it would, be, it would be better to be realistic now. Our old home pastor said, Now, Mom, it's going to be difficult somewhere down the line for you having set your mind like this and somewhere down the line. I'm talking about everybody, everybody. But when the, when, when the load of it all got so heavy that she... She, she, she had looked at him, every one of them, Job's comforters, you know. She would looked at him and she said, you believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe. My boy's coming home because my boy was lost when he left. She hadn't been in the church too long before he went overseas. And, and, and she felt God had given her a promise that that boy was coming home so he could have a chance at salvation. She told the home pastor and everybody, go ahead, believe what you want to believe. But when it got so heavy, she went to her place of prayer out in the cow stall. I visited there just a few years back. Grandma had been dead and gone for years. I visited the place and my mother told me, son, see that, that cow stall right there? That's where, that's where Grandma prayed. Honestly. I looked at that place, and the place until that moment was still dried and hard dirt as though it were concrete where that woman prayed. She told God, she said, God, everybody's telling me my boy's lost. My boy's gone. He's dead. I tell you what I want you to do, God. I want you to tell me, I want you to show me just how my boy is right now. Just give me a picture of him. Give me a picture of my boy. She prayed and sought God, and she went back to the house, and, and her and Paul were sitting in the living room. My pa, grandpa never did live for the Lord. They were sitting in the living room, and Ma heard a, heard a racket around at the door, and she looked around, and there stood Zach. He was a little old bitty frail thing, and his beard was way down about here. And she looked around, and she turned back around to tell Paul, Paul, there's Zach! And she turned back around, both of them, he wasn't there. God had television long before Hollywood. <laughs> he told her in a vision, Oh, my Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm, 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 when I go to talking about what God can do, you, you'd be surprised to know how little it makes the devil look. Yeah. Honey, some of you that can't dwell on nothing but your problems, you, some of you that can't dwell on nothing but negativism, some of you that can't hear nothing but the bad, some of you that can't sing nothing but... No wonder your God is so dwarfed because your devil is so big. I've got news for you. I'm going to major on how big my God is and that goes to making my devil look a whole lot smaller.
Does anybody feel like doing a little jig? Some of you would get the victory over your problem right now if you'd do a little demonstrating in the Holy Ghost. My God, reach over and touch somebody. Reach over and touch somebody. Reach over and touch somebody. God, move on every one of us. Somebody's getting a touch from heaven right now. Somebody's getting your God in the right perspective right now. Your devil has been too big. one conqueror in your head. Jesus told us that you're going to either serve God or go. You can't have both as gods. I'm telling you Pentecostals, the 20th century version, you can't have God and the devil vying for power. One or the other is going to be God in your life. Either God can do it and the devil can't do nothing about it, or the devil can do it and God can't do nothing. Just choose which one you're going to believe. That boy lived through that prison camp and watched others by the hundreds die and they dig graves out of the icy ground to bear them in boxes. He told about how they'd give up and when they gave up hope they'd turn to the wall and draw up in a fetal position. They'd find them dead in a morning or two. Starving to death. Didn't have anything to eat. Dysentery and disease rampant. I said, Uncle Zach, how did you make it? How did you keep from going to that box? He said, well, son, all I can, he got that little gleam in his eye. He said, all I can say is I never did see myself going to that box. I saw myself going home. I'm here to tell you that boy came home. That boy was filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. He got a Catholic wife after he got home and before he was converted. That little Catholic wife got the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name. And they're still living for God today. But Satan wouldn't have just had Zach Wilkes if Mom would have taken that bloody coat. There were some prisoners of war on that boat coming home with that boy. He said, we stood on the deck of the boat. It was an unmarked Japanese ship. So our boys thought it was still the enemy. They fired torpedoes, and those ships were bringing our own boys home. But our boys thought they were Japanese. Uncle Zach said we stood on the bank on the deck of that ship and the, the, the US ship fired three three missiles. He said, I stood there and I watched one. Streaking through the water and everybody was screaming, Here it comes, here it comes. 
He said it got just a few feet off of the edge of the ship. Just, just turn that way. The next one. Here comes another one, boys. Here comes another one. That one came. And, and when it got just a few yards from the ship, it went that way. Oh, boys, here comes another one. Here it came. They saw it split in the water. It got about 20 feet off the ship. Went straight down. Somebody didn't take goat's blood as being the blood of their dream. In 81, the devil took some situations in my life. They pronounced me with malignant tumor of the colon. I've lived all of this time thinking I had just a malignancy of the colon, only to find out a few weeks, a few months ago, just before Christmas of this past year, during that time, I had gotten so run down and so weak, and, and I didn't have zest for life. Little by little, I was crawling up into the bleachers, watching life go by because I didn't have the energy. I was getting ash and color. And of course, the fear. Cancer's come back. Only this time when I went back to get a thorough checkup, Brother Tenney made the, he said, you're going. He made the, he made the deal. I had to go to Houston. Went through all of these tests. When they found out, my wife had just told them in the studies that I'd had a malignancy of the colon. He said, well, what, what did they call it? He said, she said, they referred to it as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That doctor said, uh-uh. He wouldn't believe it. We had a registered nurse that had gone with Joan and I over there from our church so that she could read all of the terms and hear all they were saying so we could translate it to us, you know. Interpret. They had to have the records from the surgery in 81 of the doctor's diagnosis for them to believe that it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He said, lady, we don't even consider that cancer of the colon. That's cancer of the lymph system. And when it shows up in one area, it just happened to show up. It could show up anywhere else in your body. Only then did I realize the significance. The night that fear came into that hospital room, and I got a telephone call. My precious wife had gone for the night to get some rest at my bidding. I said, you've got a hard day ahead of you tomorrow. Go get some rest. I'll make it. Fear moved in that room. But a telephone rang. I reached over, and somebody on the other end of the line said, Hey, boy, this is Tom Barnes. I felt like I needed to call you. I want to pray for you. That old darling began to pray, God, I curse whatever is wrong in that boy's body. I don't just curse the cancer. I curse the roots of that thing. When he said roots of that thing and that prayer, I felt fear walk out of that room. I felt sunshine walk in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Only now do I realize that it wasn't just the roots of a tumor that hadn't gone through the wall of the colon. It was the roots of that thing throughout my lymph system. God performed a miracle that I wasn't even aware of. They found my blood to be all right. They found my bone marrow to be all right. They found... I won't tell you what all they found to be all right. But my problem was I had a sleep disorder. Out of four stages of sleep, I was only getting to the second stage. And out of that, I was awakened 300 times the night they did the study. Oxygen level in my blood that should be 98 to 100 was down to 60. You die when it gets to 40. They put me on a sleep machine, 
pumps air in my nostrils to keep the passageway open so my body don't struggle to get breath at night. I'm on top of the world. I'm on top of the world. But it would have been so easy to have taken that bloody coat and said, it's over, boy. I've got some things right now the devil's trying to make me look at a bloody coat that he's got at my feet. Your children will never, uh, the dreams, your child, no, no. Sir, I've done had too many bloody coats dropped at my feet. I won't give up now. If this message has been a blessing to you today, please pass it along to someone else or simply tell them about PreachItAudio.com. If you would like to find a spirit-filled church where lives are transformed in your area, I encourage you to email us today at churches at preachitaudio.com. Let us know the city and state you live in, and we will reply back to you very quickly to direct you to the church in your area where you will receive the strength you need for your life today and where you too can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost.